Hi, welcome to another episode of Expanding Motherhood Single and Black. I am your host, Kim, and I'm so excited that you have decided to tune in and listen. If this is your very first episode, welcome. If you are part of the community here, welcome back. I really appreciate each and every one of you. If you have been listening and you have not taken out the time to leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, I want you to pause this and go ahead and do that. When you leave reviews, it helps other single moms to find the podcast. If you are listening over on SoundCloud, be sure to comment and let me know how you're enjoying the episodes and what you think about it. If you're listening over on SoundCloud, definitely drop a comment and let me know what you think about the episode. All right. If you missed out on last week's episode, I got a chance to sit down and chat with Yvette Ross, who is a teacher coach. She's been an educator for 20 years and has so much knowledge. And we talked all about getting involved in your child's education. So if you're that mom and you need that extra push when it comes down to your child's education, then I definitely encourage you to go back and listen. And even if you don't need the encouragement and you feel like you're pretty involved, I actually learned a lot from Yvette in that episode, and I know you will too. So definitely go back and catch that. We are officially in income tax season. I know a lot of you are excited to get these big income tax checks and refunds or whatever you call it. (laughs) And so I felt like it would be beneficial to sit down and chat with the mom who has worked directly for the IRS with us to share her tips with us. Today is January 31st, so by the end of the day, everyone should have their W-2s and be ready to file. So hopefully, all of you have not filed your taxes yet. I know I haven't, and it probably won't be until February or so, because I do have a business that I have to file taxes for before I can file my own taxes, so I am waiting on that. So for those of you who are new to me, I do work full-time and I have a side hustle that is a business okay and and so yes that that is how it typically goes the CPA recommends that we file the business taxes first and then we file our own personal taxes I have a business partner and we both have full-time jobs so without further ado let's get into this episode hi Rosalind welcome to the show I am so excited to have you on to chat about income tax. How are you doing? Hi, Kim. I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks so much for asking. Can you take a moment to just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Okay. So I am a single mother of um, four girls. Their age is 11, five, and then I have four-year-old twins. So my life is just basically (laughs) always on go. (laughs) Yes. Um, But... (laughs) I have been working um, at the Internal Revenue Service as a contact representative um, for a little over three years. Awesome. Like, what actually made you apply to to work there, honestly? Because I I didn't ask you this question off the mic, but, (laughs) like, I'm interested to know, like, why would you want to work for the Internal Revenue Service? Like, was there anything that, like, interests you, or was it just a random thing? Like, let me apply. 
It was so random, Kim. <laughs> so I did not have any type of tax knowledge or history or experience outside of doing my own taxes. I didn't have any of that. Um, but there was someone I knew. Um, what happened was the twins were, I think, maybe about eight months old. And I had decided to finally, you know, go back to work after staying home with them. Um, and so I was looking for a job that kind of fit my schedule to where I would still be able to spend time with them you know, and not be, because I basically came from, from retail. And you know, with retail, you can work any kind of shift, any type of hours. So I needed something a little bit more consistent. Um, and I was talking to, to someone that I knew, um, and they let me know that the IRS was hiring. And so I just went online and applied. Um, and it was about a three to four month hiring process. <laughs> I applied, I think, in June, and I didn't start actually working um, until November. So it was a long hiring process, but that was pretty much it. I mean, I got on and then they trained us in everything. You you figure it out pretty quickly. But no, I did not have any prior experience. It was very random. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. Three to four months. <laughs> That's crazy. But I guess it's like, you know, super serious. But anyways, mm-hmm. I just wanted to know. So today we're going to be chatting about income tax because as we know like income tax season is upon us or I guess you would call it filing season and so I wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure that as single moms we were prepared um, before actually you know filing or having someone file our taxes for us so what are some things that we should actually know before um, we get started with filing okay definitely um so before I get into that I did just want to let everyone know that my statements and opinions are not directly um, a reflection of the Internal Revenue Service. Um, you know, just so, you know, I, I don't have any issues when I go back to work. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, um, yeah, Rosalind, that is, that is another thing. So, um, you know, we know if we have the government shutdown. And so I just briefly, you know, wanted to um, let you, let everybody else know how that is going for you. I know we talked about it off the mic. But just, you know, because I'm sure people are wondering, like, as a single mom, how are you handling, like, not being at work due to the government shutdown? Yeah, it's, it's Kim, it's crazy. And it's really unfortunate. You know, I think it's affecting like 800,000 people wow. um, in the country. And so it's really, really difficult um, because this past weekend um, is when we miss our first paycheck, you know, as federal employees. Um Thankfully, you have a lot of companies and organizations and even like landlords and creditors that are really understanding, um, you know, to what's going on and have either given extensions on paydays or, you know, just have just held things off, you know, because they know that we're unemployed and not working. So thankfully, um, I haven't really been negatively affected yet. However, if this does continue to go on, I don't know what we'll do. Also, you know, I I do have a couple of other streams of income, um, which I think is situations like this is why it's so important that I think we do have multiple streams of income because you just never know what can happen with your primary, you know, employment. Um, So because of that, I I have been able to kind of stay afloat. Um, and then also, fortunately, the bank that I bank with has offered um, interest-free loans to federal employees in the amount of our usual paycheck. So 
that has kind of helped as well. Um, but <laughs> depending on how long this goes on, I may have to eventually look into getting, you know, another part-time job or just something temporarily until the whole shutdown situation is over. But I'm hoping that it does not, you know, end up being that. I hope that we do get called back to work soon. Yes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That again, I'm so sorry that you have to go through that, but that is crazy, but it's definitely a lesson um, for everybody that's listening. Because like you said, that's why you should never depend on one single income because you just never know. You think like, Oh, I work for the government. I'm safe. Like this will never happen Mm -hmm. to me. And then here we are, you know, dealing with all of this crap. So I just wanted you to share that so that, you know, other moms would, really understand how important it is for them to um, not depend on their primary source of income as the only source. So, okay, back back to um, letting us know what we should do to get prepared before um, actually filing our taxes. Okay, so the number one thing I would say is to make sure that you have all of your income information lined up, all of your W-2s. A lot of people um, are like, self-employed or small businesses, making sure you have all your receipts, all your 1099 forms. If you do um, like contract work, like if you work for Lyft or if you work for Uber or, I mean, there's so many things out there these days, like Instacart, Ship, just so many different small companies where you are considered um, basically self-employed, but you still, because you have a company that pays you, you're still reported, required to report that income. Um, So just making sure you have everything lined up before you actually file your taxes. Um, Because what we run into a lot of the times is, you know, people will receive their W-2 from their primary employer and go ahead and file their taxes and submit it. And then they either have to come back after the fact once they receive additional information and amend their return, or some people just don't bother with it at all. Um, And then they run into issues further on down the line. (laughs) Um, as it pertains to not reporting all their income. Oh, wow. Okay. So I guess, like you said, the main thing is that just making sure we have all of our income and things like that together so that we can show proof that we've made this amount, basically. Make sure that you are actually sending in a tax payment to the IRS. Like, so if you're at filing season and you didn't do that last year, just make sure that you do that this year moving forward so that you don't pay like a penalty on those uh, funds. Right, Rosalind? Because I think that yes, happens definitely. too. Yeah, like a couple of years ago, um, I used to drive for Lyft. Um, and so when you make a certain amount, I think it's maybe over 3000 they do send you a 1099 form. But if you wanted to, you know, include how much you spent on gas or car repairs or, you know, just things dealing with that particular job, you had to keep track of that, <laughs> you know, if you wanted to be able to receive that deduction. So it's definitely a lot of paperwork, um, but it's, it's, it's worth it because you definitely don't want to get into a situation where you report something and then you can't verify it because you never know when they're going to come back and say, hey, you know, we need to be able to have you back up X, Y, and Z. <laughs> so I think that is the issue that a lot of people run into. They kind of keep it in their head, but they don't really, you know, have any type of physical paper trail. Um, so that's definitely important to make sure that they have that information in front of them in case, you know, they need to be able to verify something. 
Okay, awesome. So I want to get a little bit into the W-4 form. A lot of people, whenever they um, start these new jobs, they don't really know what it's about. And I know you mentioned that there were some changes to the W-4. So Rosalind, let's talk a little bit about that um, and what people should know when they're actually filling this out. Because majority of the time, like I know I have a lot of single friends that don't have kids they just automatically put zero on the form. They don't even read it. They think like, oh, I don't have any dependents. You know, I can't claim any exemptions, but they can't. Um, and so they never take the time to read. So before you, you know, give us some advice on that, Rosalind, I just want to, you know, remind people to start reading. Like when you're starting a new job, when you're um, filling out paperwork and signing these things, make sure you're actually taking the time to figure out what the heck are you signing and how does that affect you and your coins? No, that is so true, Kim, because when those W-4 forms are probably one of the most important forms that you're going to fill out. You know, a lot of people just think about the 1040 and the tax forms that we have to do during tax time. But the W form, you know, that determines how much you actually take home, how much taxes are taken out of each check, things like that. So you definitely want to make sure that, you know, you look into that and you are, you know, filling it out based on how your household is. So prior to this year, 2018, how the W form form, form worked was um, you would calculate your exemptions based on the amount of people in your household. So if you were married and you had maybe three children, you would count your husband, you would count your three children, and you would count yourself. And that's the amount of exemptions you would claim or you would input on your W-4, which basically means the more exemptions you have, the less amount that they take out in taxes. Can you repeat that to Roz and just say that one more time so that they actually get sure. it? <laughs> <laughs> so with the exemptions, um, what would happen is basically you calculate the amount of people in your household. So if you're married, if you have children, even yourself, you would add, add up all of that, and that's the amount of exemptions you would claim on your W-4. And that affects how much taxes is taken out of your check. So the more exemptions you have, the less amount of taxes um, you would have deducted out of each paycheck. Um, however, with the new tax law that went into effect, um, actually this year, the current administration did cancel out personal exemptions. So in previous years, where we would be able to claim or exempt ourselves, we are no longer able to do that. The only um, exemptions that we can claim now on the W-4s are for our dependents. So, like I was saying before with the example with a husband, wife, and three children, you would usually, in prior years, do five exemptions on your W-4. Well, now, because that has changed and they took away the personal exemptions, you would only be able to put your children down or your dependents down as an exemption. So, instead of doing five, you would only claim three which basically means you will now have more taxes taken out of each check than you would before. And I think where it's going to affect a lot of people, um, particularly this year, because it just went into effect, is a lot of people still have those old exemption amounts, and so they didn't necessarily have enough taxes taken out of each check to keep up or to meet the tax obligation under this new tax law. And so when they go to file, what they may see is a reduced refund amount due to not having enough taxes taken out. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really hoping that once this goes over this year, you know, it's kind of new and a lot of people really didn't understand or know about it, that people will definitely look into updating their W-4 forms. Because although it is a form that we fill out when we first get a new job, 
um, it's something that you can definitely update at any time. The only thing you have to do is just let your employer know, you know, hey, I need to update my W-4. And they should be able to provide you with the form so that you can update your information and make sure that you're having um, the right amount of taxes taken out. Yes. And, you know, I used to work in HR. So actually now a lot of companies are electronic. So I know even like the company I work for right now, like you can actually go into um, we have a system that we use called Mars. And so you can go into Mars and you can just change your exemptions at any time. You don't even have to go to anybody and say like, hey, I need to update my W-4. You actually just go in the system and change it yourself. So if, you know, you need to go to someone, it would be your HR department or whoever handles payroll. And you can let them know, like Rosalind said, like, hey, I want to update this and make sure that you are claiming the right amount of exemptions. Because what happens is sometimes you're, you're not actually claiming enough. So what happens is the government actually gets a little bit more than what they should actually be getting because yes (laughs) and um so then it's kind of like a tax-free loan to the government so that's how I look at it like I want all of my coins now depending on how you like your money so some people like you know higher refunds so they don't claim as much but I personally don't really care about the refunds I just care about like what I have right now right because I never know if I'm gonna even live to see tomorrow so I want all of my coins okay (laughs) so but I know some of you you like your big refunds but that could be the reason why you're getting a large refund so I don't know if any of you have ever thought about that but it's definitely something to consider so that again w4 form is super important it definitely is. It is. I'm like you, Kim. I like to see my money right then and there. Not only that, sometimes when you get a big chunk, you know, it's, it's harder. You think, okay, I got six, $7,000. It goes a lot quicker <laughs> versus, you know, just getting it in your regular paycheck throughout the year. So I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. Yes. So, Rosalind, I guess this is sort of like more of a personal question. But do you prepare your own taxes or do you like recommend a tax preparer? Because I was telling you off the mic that, you know, you'll be driving around and it's like income tax season and you see like these signs around like, oh, we can guarantee you five or six thousand dollars. You know, how do you feel about that? And then um, do you actually do your own or do you get someone to do them for you? Yeah, so, you know, this time of the year, we definitely, it's usually right after Christmas, <laughs> we start seeing those signs popping up next to the highways when you're getting out the exit. And just yes, right the there street. by the lights. <laughs> yes, you always see the guys dancing, you know, on the side of the street, holding up the signs with the little Statue of Liberty costumes on. <laughs> it is absolutely crazy. And so, basically, what these companies are doing, um, is see, a lot of them are not legit. So, I definitely want people to be careful you know, with who they give their personal information to. Because when you're dealing with taxes, whoever files it for you, you're giving them your social, you're giving them all your income information, address, information about your children. It's, it's a lot. Um, and it's very easy for people to fall victim to identity theft this time of the year. Because people are just thinking, you know, oh, this, this company can offer me 5000 for one child. You know, let me try to go do this. And so what it basically is, is they'll take your information and look over everything and basically fill out the tax form for you. Um, and then what they'll do is give you a loan for the amount or a part of the amount that you should be getting back for a refund. And then once we process the tax return um, and issue out the actual refund, it goes directly to them to repay the, repay the amount that you have loaned or they have loaned you. 
Um, and so what happened, what I've noticed has happened a lot of times, people um, will think that they're getting a refund. So they go and get these refund anticipation loans that are offered. Um, but then when they actually submit the tax returns and we receive it, they actually have other obligations that they may not have known um, that they owed for. So like a lot of times people will have back child support. So they get this refund anticipation loan for this, from this company and then the tax return is filed and the refund amount is issued. However, it does not go to anyone because you owe another tax ab- obligation. And so we just take that refund amount and apply it to whoever you owe um, and you don't see a dime. And so now you've gotten this loan from this company and they want their money back. <laughs> and so people run into a lot of issues with that. Um, a lot of tax companies are able to check to see if there is some type of debt indicator um, before the tax return is submitted, but it's not always there. You're not always able to see it. So I just want people to be very careful um, with getting those, especially if you're not 100% sure if you will be actually receiving the refund. Not only that, um, a lot of times with these these companies, they charge a lot of money to file tax. Um, and I think, you know, people look at it as, well, you know, I'm getting back 5000 So if I pay them 1000 it's really not that big of a deal. But it, it is. They're giving away a lot of money. Not only that, if something happens and your return is not filled out correctly, you're the only one responsible for it. You're the only one responsible for the mistake, the correction, whatever additional taxes you may owe. Um, I remember I had a situation where um, I was talking with someone who had let a tax preparer file their taxes. They had made a ton of mistakes. Um, and then three years down the line, they ended up receiving a notice from the IRS saying, hey, you owe X, Y, and Z. And they were really upset because they were like, well, I didn't know this guy had did this, you know, it's not fair that I should have to pay this back. I didn't even file the taxes. And I had to explain to them that, well, you know, this is your information. You signed off on it. So at the end of the day, you are responsible, you know, for whatever mistakes were made. And, you know, whoever filed his taxes, he could no longer get in touch with them because they had gotten their payment <laughs> and they were gone. Um, and so he was on the hook for repaying all of that money that someone else, you know, had, had made a mistake on. So I just want people to be very careful. Even if you do have a tax preparer, um, you know, they're supposed to be certified. And so you pretty much put all your trust in them to file your taxes correctly. But you definitely want to review everything before you sign off on it and before they, before they submit it so that you can make sure that all your information is accurate and correct. Because at the end of the day, you will be the only one responsible for what's input on your tax return. Um, but to answer your first question, um, I have filed my own taxes since I started working. Um, I just found it to be really easy, um, especially using like TurboTax, um, H&R Block Online. It's just, it's really simple to me. And it actually gave me a better knowledge on taxes because it walks you through everything step by step. So I would definitely say, you know, if people have the time um, to definitely you know, give it a shot. Try to do it yourself. If you don't have a whole lot of different types of income, if you just have a W-2, really look into trying to, you know, do them yourself, just so you can familiarize yourself with how taxes work. Because I think a lot of people don't know. You know, they just know that it comes out of their check every two weeks, and then you get a refund or you owe. Um, But you definitely want to know what's going on with your money, where it's going, you know, what kind of deductions you may be eligible for, um, what kind of credits are out there. So I would definitely encourage people to just, you know, 
try to do their own taxes. This is not knocking any preparers or CPAs, but <laughs> you just, you know, you want people to know what's going on. Yes, that is definitely some good advice, Rosalind. I too have been doing my taxes since I started working. So yeah, like I totally believe in DIY, do it yourself. Uh, if you, you know, if you feel comfortable now, if you don't feel comfortable, like definitely go for a prepare, but I'm um, literally like Rosalind said, uh, I've used both TurboTax and H&R Block and they both like literally walk you through the process. And then if there are some things that you may not understand or you have a question about, sometimes there are like chat boxes where you can like chat mm -hmm. with the law professional or you can give them a call. And I've done that before and they will answer your questions over the phone or through that chat. And then sometimes there'll be like a little light bulb or something that you can click on that explains the question um, more in detail with some examples. So it's truly like um, user friendly. So you have all of those tools and resources there to guide you. But should you decide to use a tax repair, make sure you look at their receipts, like check their reviews. Um, if anybody has recommended them to you, ask them how long they've been going. Like, have they ha ever had any issues? And, you know, like you will figure out whether they're actually worth investing in because they do charge their fees and so you do have to be prepared for that as well definitely and then also what i wanted to add in kim was um with the online tax software i know in the past a lot of people have had to pay maybe 30 60 dollars to file their taxes with the software companies however the irs does set up um, a page during tax season where they have a list of different companies that you can file your tax return with for free. If you um, are, are under the different stipulations that they have, I think. I think one it of was them, like less than, is it less than 50 or 60,000? If you make I think it's 60,000. Yeah, I believe it's 60,000. And then like if you have dependents or something like that, yeah, they yeah. will file your state and federal for free. And that's actually what I use every single year. Me so too. I have I never did, paid. But this last time. <laughs> I think I was trying to go through TurboTax. And so it was like, because of my situation, um, I had to end up paying a little bit, but I don't think it was any more than $50. I have a, a side hustle where I have like a small business. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I had to end up like paying, like I said, like $50. But, you know, that was better than paying somebody like $200. But go ahead, Roz, and I'm exactly. sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, that was it. Yeah, just definitely check your resources. There are so many things out there that, free resources especially as being a single mom you definitely want to get as much as you can back you know it's your money it's what you earn it's what you pay so you definitely want to get you know the most that you can get out of it so i'm just i'm always looking for a free way <laughs> to do something right. as long Hello, as it's legit. Like a way to save coins <laughs> yes. i definitely so yeah definitely check out the irs website um and pull up those different links and then, like i said they have about six or seven different companies that you can choose from Taxes with. If I can like copy the link for y'all, I'll paste it in the show notes. That way you don't have to go look for it. And I'll also post like the link to the W4 because that's online as well. That way you guys can just access them there and actually start looking over the information and getting familiar with it. So I can do that um, for y'all. But Rosa, I wanted to um, talk about some of the tax breaks um, for single moms. So before we get into like these credits and stuff though, I wanted to kind of touch on like filing head of household first off. Actually, Kim, just to piggyback on something that you said just a moment ago in regards to the W-4, the IRS does have um, a withholding calculator. 
yes, that yeah. did add on last year. So you can definitely, I encourage everybody to use that. It will let you know specific to your income information what you should input on your W-4. So definitely take advantage of that. It's really simple, and you just are basically filling in the blanks. But yes, yeah, so in regards to the filing, um, so there are one, two, three, four, five different ways that you can file um, your taxes. You can either claim single. So single is basically just that. It's just you, no dependents, nothing. And then you have the option to claim married filing joint or married filing separately. Um, and then there's also head of household, which is my favorite. <laughs> it's right. head of household, basically. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Because it gives you a great deduction. So head of household is when it's it's you plus dependents. You are responsible for more than or at least half of the care of your dependents that are within your household. Um, and you're not married, you're single. Um, and so it's just basically you and your children. Like I said, that's my that's my favorite filing status um, because it does have a high standard deduction amount. Now, the standard deduction amount did change with this new tax law. So in the past, the standard deduction for head of household would be $9,350. It's now been boosted up, boosted up to $18,000. And I believe that's due to them removing the personal exemptions. So with them removing the personal exemptions, they did increase the standard deduction. So that does help a lot. And so basically with standard deduction, it's basically the amount that you are able to deduct from your taxable income based on um, the filing status that you select. Actually, I feel like now I need to go and read up on like how these news laws are affecting Yes. Because I definitely haven't taken the time out to do that. That's good to know, Rosalind. But I just want yeah, it's, it's some big um, changes. Just a little I, bit, um, I'm sorry, Rosalind. I think I'm talking over you. Well, oh, no, 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 it's okay. I was just going to say, with this new tax law, you definitely want to read up on it because I think it's the biggest changes within like 30 years, over the past 30 years. So they have definitely changed a lot of things around um, that I don't think people are really aware of. Um, so definitely, if you have time, read up on it, you know, just to see what's going on with the new law. Okay, yeah, I totally will. But you guys are listening, you should totally go and educate yourselves as well. So Roslyn, really quick, um, I wanted to make sure people know, like, what dependent they can actually claim, because sometimes I feel like, okay, since, like, I'm the mom, like, I can claim the child, and it's not always the case, right? Definitely, definitely, Kim. So, <laughs> you know, most of the times we do think that way, you know, we're the mom, um, you know, we, we had them, so we should be able to claim them on a tax return. And for a lot of instances, that is true. But what it actually boils down to is who provided the majority of the care for the dependent that year. And with that, it may not always be the mother. So if you're dealing with a situation with um, your child's father where um, you guys kind of pretty much split the care, they're with you 50% of the time, and then they're with the the five to 50% of the time, it can become a little tricky. Um, so you definitely have to sit down and look at, okay, who, who actually provided the majority of the care? Because that is who is eligible to receive the credit for that particular dependent. Now, we do have a lot of situations where people have gone to court um, and they have court orders that this particular parent, you know, is the one who's allowed to claim this particular dependent. However, the Internal Revenue Service does not take a look into all of that. We do not look at, you know, court orders or anything of that nature. It's basically just cut and dry. Whoever provided the majority of the care of the dependent, 
is who is eligible to file them. Now, if you run into a situation where you were told in court that, you know, hey, I can claim this dependent, and the other parent went in and claimed them and received the credit, um, you can submit information that we may take into consideration, but um, the IRS doesn't really get involved with civil matters. It's just basically who provided the majority of the care. So what we'll do a lot of the times is where we have, because we run into plenty of situations where both parents try to claim the dependent, whether it's due to lack of communication, um, you know, someone knowing that although they didn't provide the majority of the care, you know, they'll still try to claim the child anyway. Um, and so when that happens, when we receive tax returns where both parents have, have claimed a child or we see a social security number on more than one tax return for a dependent, what we'll do is send out a notice to both of those parents saying, hey, we need proof that this child was with you, you know, the majority of the year. So we'll ask for things like um, school records, you know, showing your address on the actual doctor's forms, um, report cards from the school that they were enrolled in, just basically whatever kind of proof you had to show that you provided the majority of the, the care for that particular dependent. And based on who's able to submit that information, that's who will receive the credit. Um, so, you know, a lot of the times if we have a parent who really wasn't involved that year, but they still tried to claim the child, once they get that notice, you know, they really don't respond because <laughs> they don't have the information. Mm-hmm. And so whoever does respond, that's who, you know, with the verifiable information, that's who will be eligible to get the credit. Now, let's say this parent who did not provide the care, claimed the child, received the refund, we sent the notices out, the other parent was able to verify that they provided the care for the child. But this other person has that refund. It doesn't mean that you won't receive it. Um, What we will do, though, is go after (laughs) the other person who has already gotten it and just basically say, hey, you are not eligible to claim this dependent. We need this money back. So you definitely want to be careful. Um, it, it can be tricky with dealing with, you know, dependents and children and the other parent. Um, I think the most important thing is just communicating, you know, that, you know, just putting out there who has, who has the right to claim the child, making that known, um, and then making sure that only one parent claims the dependent. Or sometimes if you have multiple children, what a lot of people do is, you know, one parent will take one dependent and another parent will claim the other. You can definitely do that. Um, but you want to avoid, you know, more than one person trying to claim one child because it can really end up being a long, drawn-out situation trying to resolve that, you know, us trying to figure out who has the right to claim. Yes, yes, yes. That is so good. And so another thing, Riles and I don't think we touched on was that these parents that are divorced, right, and they have joint custodies. So just say, mm-hmm. for instance, like each kid, um, not each kid, but each parent has a kid, say, exactly six months out of the year because they have joint custody. So the days equal out to, you know, half and half, right? So mm-hmm. in this case, would either of them be able to claim head of household or would they just have to, like, claim single? Like, how does that actually work or do you know? You know what? That's a good question, Kim. I'm not 100% sure, but what I do believe is as long as they are in separate households and they're not living together, and they're responsible for, you know, the, the finances in their each individual household, they can still claim head of household. But you can't claim head of household for the same dependent. So say, for instance, if they only had one child, 
Um, you can't claim head of household and claim this child on your tax return, and then the father claim the same child and claim head of household as well. You can't do that because it's it's one dependent. Um, but if they had say maybe two children, then the mother could claim head of household for her home for one child, and then the father claim head of household in his home for the other child. Ah, and then there would be um, another issue, I guess, which is going into my next thing. We'll get into the credit. So when we're talking about the child tax credit, then only one parent would be able to, like you said, if they had one child, only one parent is able to claim head of household. Only one parent is able to get that child tax credit. So let's go ahead and move on into that, Rosalind. So just talking about the tax credit and what it actually is. Um, Help us out with that. Definitely. So um, there's actually a couple of different um, child credits that we have. So we have the original child tax credit, and then we also have um, an additional child tax credit. Um, And then within the child tax credit, we also have a dependent care credit. So I'll just touch on the dependent care credit really quick. And so that basically is for um, parents who have children that they have to have care for due to them working, being in school, things like that. So if you're paying for after school, if you're paying for child care, daycare, nursery, even transportation, you know, so that you can work, that's definitely a credit that you may be eligible for um, when filing your taxes. And so what they do is um, each year, whoever provides the care for your child should be able to provide you a form with a breakdown on how much you spent that year in care. Um, along with their EIN number. Um, and so with that information, you'll be able to um, input it on your tax return and receive a credit for it based on how much your income is and how much you actually had in expenses for care of your child, you know, while you were working. Um, so that's definitely one of the best credits <laughs> that they have available. And then basically the regular child tax credit is a credit that you receive for just having dependents. Um, and it's based on the amount you receive for that credit is based on the amount of dependents you have. So for someone who has two children, um, they would claim both of them for the child tax credit. And I believe the amount for child tax credit is 4000 per child. So you would actually have an $8,000 credit. And then just keep in mind, with all these credits that you have, they basically go against the amount of taxes or your tax obligation for the year. And that's based on how much you make. So say, for instance, if you... Um, have a tax obligation of $18,000. If you have um, two dependents that you're claiming for child tax credit, that will deduct $8,000 in the amount of taxes that you owe for that year. So it's definitely, you know, a great credit to have. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's my I favorite. Um, especially when we have, <laughs> oh yeah, girl, when we having four children, I'm like, oh, this is absolutely perfect. So yeah, um, the child tax credit, the um, dependent care credit, um, we also have the earned income credit that most people are eligible for. They do have an income cap on the earned income credit, um, but it's, it's I believe, somewhere in the 100000 So, you know, most people are still eligible to receive that one as well. But you definitely want to familiarize yourself with the credits. Um, and also, they do have um, the credits if you're in college, if you're a college student, you can claim that as well. Um, and also, if you have had to pay student loans back, there's a credit that you can claim for the amount of interest that you've had to repay on your student loans. So you definitely want to make sure that you're getting every credit (laughs) that's available to you to lower the amount of tax obligation that you have, which will in turn increase your refund. 
Yeah. So hold on, Roz. I want to go back to the child tax credit really quickly um, because mm-hmm. I wanted to see if you knew this. So the child tax credit is based on like your income, right? So if you make, mm-hmm. I think it's above 75000 then you can't actually claim this tax credit. Or has the law uh, changed since I guess I knew about it? So do you know yeah, what the so- amount is? Um, the amount for the child tax credit is per child, actually. So it's per. So if you have one child and you make more than seventy five thousand, like, are you still eligible to claim that child tax credit? That's a good question, Kim. I don't believe that you are eligible if you um go over that amount. Let's see. Yeah, because I I was like I knew there was like a cutoff, but I just don't mm-hmm. remember um what it actually what the actual amount is. Yeah, yeah, I'm not one hundred percent sure. I, and then also too, there is an age limit cutoff. So um, yeah. the age limit cutoff is definitely seventeen. You can't claim that once they reach the age of seventeen in that filing year. As far as the income amount goes, I'm not one hundred percent sure. Um, with these tax changes, they have changed so much information. And with us still being on a shutdown, we haven't received a lot of pertinent training <laughs> um, <laughs> to be able to answer all of these, these questions that taxpayers have. Um, so I, that's another reason why I hope we do go back soon. I'm not 100% sure um, what the actual cap limit is for the dependent. Okay, so no worries. I don't want to so- get anything wrong. It's okay. If I um if I find it out, I'll let you guys know cuz I do have some moms that do earn more than 75,000. Um a couple of like months back I did a survey um here on the podcast and so I did notice that um I do have some high earning um single moms. So I just wanted to make sure I'm covering all the bases for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to um, touch back on the education credits because I know that there is an American Opportunity Tax Credit and then there's also the Lifetime Learning Credit and as well as you being able to claim like if you have contributed to like a 529 or anything like that. So um, just let us know if we have any of those, I guess, opportunities. How can we take advantage of those? Yeah, definitely. So for um, starting with the American Opportunity Tax Credit, that's basically a credit for tuition, um, any kind of required enrollment fees or course material for the first four years of um, post-secondary education, you know, which is basically college. Um, And that credit is for up to $2,500 per eligible student per year. So if you're a parent who has college students and maybe have more than one student in college, you are definitely want to look into that credit because, like I said, it's $2,500 per student. Or if you're in school yourself, you can also claim that credit as well. So your adjusted gross income does have to be under $90,000 if you are single or head of household in order to be eligible for that credit. It goes up a lot more if you are um, married and you're filing jointly. Then it goes up to like $180,000 for that. But also in order to be eligible for the American Opportunity Tax Credit, um, you couldn't have claimed that credit um, or any form or what used to be called the HOPE credit. You can't have claimed that more than four years for the same eligible student. So they do have a cap on it. Um, and up to 40% of that credit could possibly be refundable. So that's how it works with the American Opportunity Tax Credit. And then with the Lifetime Learning Credit, um, that one is a little different. With that, you will also need to make sure that you have um, a 1099 T-form 
from um, whatever qualifying secondary education institution that you went to. And they usually send those out around the same time they send the W-2s. Basically, that is um, a particular credit that you can be eligible for. Same deduction um, if you are no longer eligible for the American Opportunity Credit. So it is two different ones. You can't claim them both together. But if you have reached that four limit cap on the American Opportunity Credit, then you can claim the Lifetime Learning Credit. And it does allow you to um, claim the credit based on the tuition and the fees that you have paid. Okay, cool. So then there's some other ones that I say, I guess they would kind of be like a savers credit, but I don't know if that's the actual name for them. So just say if you have like a 401k IRA or 529 for your kids, you may be able to, I guess, like gain something like a little something back, like maybe um, if there's interest or something like, do you know anything about that, Rosalind? Um, I'm not 100% um, sure about how it works. I do know that you can claim it because I usually add in my 401k information um, with my taxes. And I, I, I see a small credit difference, but it's not that huge of a, a, a credit and it's not a refundable credit. So it can only go against the amount of taxes you owe, but you can't receive a refund based off of it. Um, so it's, it's definitely something you do want to look into if you do have a 529 plan or if you do receive it or if you have a 401k through your employer. Um, but I'm not 100% sure on how that one works. Okay, cool. So y'all do your research on, on those, but, um, I, I definitely know that, you know, like you said, Rosalind, I do put in my 401k information, but if you guys are contributing to any of those accounts, you definitely want to um, do a little research on that. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about how healthcare affects um, our return, Rosalind. Definitely. So when um, President Obama was in office, he did pass the Affordable Care Act, which did require um, all United States citizens to have healthcare. Um, and so under that, they did a couple of different things. Um, one in particular, on your tax return, you will notice that there is a section that will ask you if you had health care for the full year. Um, so with us having to make sure that everyone does or is covered under, under some type of health care, uh, most people should select yes. <laughs> now, if you weren't covered for the full year um, and you didn't have health insurance, there is a penalty that you will be assessed for not having insurance. So you definitely want to make sure that you're covered and all your dependents are covered as far as, far as health insurance goes. Now, one of the good things that I do like um, as it pertains to the Affordable Care, Care Act, which a lot of people just call Obamacare, <laughs> um, they did have something called the premium tax credit. Um, and so what that is, is a refundable credit, which basically means you can receive a refund based off of this credit. Um, and it helps um, eligible individuals and families cover the premium for their health insurance if you purchase health insurance through the healthcare marketplace. You do have to meet um, certain requirements in, in order to be eligible for the premium tax credit, but basically how it works is, so if you purchase insurance through healthcare marketplace, they will take a look at, or they'll ask you, um, how much money do you expect to earn, you know, for this year? And if you are working at the same job and pretty much have the same kind of income year after year, then you'll basically input, you know, the amount that you usually earn. Um, and based off of that, they will give you a credit to pay for the actual health care. So it'll lower, it's not, you don't get an actual check, but it lowers the amount of your actual premium, which is what you pay monthly um, for your health insurance. 
Now, you do have to be careful with the premium tax credit because if you input, say, for instance, that you plan to make um, 30000 for the year and you make over that amount, if you make forty or 45000 versus the 30000 um, then that means that you would have not been eligible for as much credit and you may have to pay some of that back at the end of the year. So you definitely want to just make sure when you input your income amount, it's as accurate as possible so that the credit that you receive is as accurate as possible so that you don't have to end up owing any of that credit back at the end of the year. Okay. So Roz, I have a little different take on this whole healthcare thing. So <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel that I have to mention it because And it may not be the smartest thing, but, you know, I can share what I've done previously. So I was in a situation where I worked a contract job only, right? So they didn't provide like any um, like insurance. And so I did get penalized. But what I found was that paying the penalty like via income tax or through the income tax uh, time was cheaper than actually having actual insurance. Now, had I got sick, mm-hmm. you know, that wouldn't have been really smart. But like, you know, because if you think about it, like just say right now, I think I'm paying like $185 for both like me and McKinley per month. Well, that's my daughter. So me and, uh, for me and my daughter each month, I think like, I don't know. So each, like I pay like every two weeks. So just say like that's a 185, like two times a month, right? So that's $370. So if you add that, like, or multiply it times 12 months plus the two additional pay periods, then I'm looking at probably a a little bit over $5,000. And the yes, and that's a lot more than the penalty itself. That, that yes, too. exactly. So <laughs> that is my point. So if you know, um, moms, you are working some sort of job where they don't provide healthcare insurance, then don't feel bad about the penalty because you have to do what you got to do right now. But once you do um, get in a position where you are able to afford healthcare or you can have a job that provides it for you, then definitely um, get you some healthcare insurance because you never know when you're going to get sick. And especially for your kids. Now, my daughter at the time, I think I was able to get her like Medicaid or chip or something like that at that time. Um, whenever I had to work this contract position, because like, I don't know, it might have paid like 40 or 50,000, but um, you can still, you know, like try to apply for, like I said, Medicaid or chip. And, and if you have that, you can provide that form um, if you're using a tax prepared so that they know that your kid had insurance and you won't have to pay the penalty for your kid, but you'll just have to pay it for yourself. So I just wanted to put that little tidbit in there um, for those of you who might not have um, healthcare insurance, because it is expensive, especially if you go through like the healthcare.gov marketplace, but then they also have like a whole nother world out there where, you know, Rosalind, and you might know a little bit more than me on this, but sometimes you can like qualify for this credit or this exemption to where um, they can lower the price of your health care insurance based on your income. So that's another thing to look at as well. It's just that they don't always have the best providers for that marketplace stuff. So (laughs) I just got it at like one point, but then I was like, yo, this is kind of like a waste. I just like paid it so that I was able to give my annual exam and then I just like got rid of it, honestly. 
So, and they like, you know, or either they cut me off because I didn't pay or something like that. But yeah, so do what works best for you in your current situation. But I definitely wanted to let you know, don't feel alone if you don't have it. Uh, it's okay, you know? Definitely. And then also there are some type of, there are some exemptions out there that you may be eligible for to, you know, just exempt you from even have, having health care. So some people have religious exemptions. Um, if that applies to you, then you definitely want to take advantage of that versus than just paying the penalty. Um, so definitely look and see, you know, if you file, if you fall under the exemption criteria, because it may be beneficial to you. So that's another little tidbit as well. Um, if, you know, the, the insurance just does not work for you. Um, but I will also say to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, Kim, in regards to um, the health insurance itself. So at the end of the year, you do receive a form or you should receive a form from your health care provider. It'll come in um, the form of either a 1099A, B, or C. So you'll receive a 1095A if you did have insurance through healthcare marketplace. Now that form you are required to report to the IRS with your tax return in addition to a form 8962 um, because that, that's our premium tax care credit form. And it basically just verifies that you did receive the right amount of credit for having healthcare. Um, so if you receive healthcare through the healthcare marketplace, you definitely want to make sure that you get your form 1095A and get that submitted because it can delay the processing of your tax return, which will delay you actually receiving your refund. Um, if you have insurance through your employer or private insurance, then you should receive a form 1095B, which you aren't required to file. Um, it's basically just for your own individual records. Um, and then I believe if you had like Medicare or Medicaid, you may receive a 295C. Um, so you definitely just want to, you know, hold on to all that information. There is a chance they could come back and ask for proof of your insurance. Um, so just, you know, keep that kind of stuff on hand when you do receive it from your insurance company. Yes. So, okay, the next thing I wanted to just touch on really briefly, Rosalind, is the credit that you can get for owning a home. So just talk about that very briefly. Okay, so yes, so there is a form for a low-income housing credit, and that's basically if you have purchased a home and you are now a homeowner. Um, it doesn't apply if you're just renting, um, so you definitely want to, you know, just make sure that you have all your chips in a row as it pertains to that. Um, so it's it's a very good credit. Um, I believe that it allows you to claim up to 4000 per year. I mean, it does have a cap on it. And I actually think that that has changed with the new tax law. I think he did put a cap on how much you can claim or the administration did put a cap on how much you can claim for the homeowner credit. So you definitely want to read into that to see how much it has changed um, with this new tax law. Because I don't think you can claim as much with the housing credit. Um, but it is something that you want to look into if you have recently purchased a home. Okay, awesome. So with that being said, um, those are some tax credits that you guys can look into. But I do want to mention very briefly, um, just in case some of you are not aware, is um, that child support is not a taxable income. So if you get child support, like you can't claim that on your taxes. And I know like whenever you're getting an apartment or you're applying for things that you need income, like you can actually use it as income. But when it comes down to your income taxes, you cannot use child support as additional income. So just want to let you guys know. But if you, you know, are divorced, um, you can claim alimony 
as additional income, but make sure you do your own research on that. Cause I don't know a whole lot about, you know, alimony and um, the whole it counting as income. So definitely go and, you know, do some Googling or if you have a CPA or a tax preparer that you actually trust, like ask them about it and how that could actually um, benefit you. Anything else? Definitely. That, oh, I'm sorry, Rosalind. No, I was just going to say another one of the incomes that you can actually report, Kim, is your unemployment. So if you receive any type of unemployment oh, wow. compensation, okay. yeah, you can add it. That is considered taxable income because a lot of times people will, will have their unemployment compensation taxed. Um, or you can, it actually gives you an option on whether you want to have taxes taken out of it or not. Some people opt to not have taxes taken out and some people do, but you can add that on as well as taxable income. So if you earn any type of unemployment, definitely make sure that you add that in. Okay, that's good to know too, because I actually did not know that. That is so good to know. All right, so now we are moving on to what can we expect for filing? Like we've you know completed our taxes, we submitted them. Now, what should our expectations be, Rosalind? And also, you know, because of this whole government shutdown, do you think that you know, just personally, um, just knowing all that you know about how this is going right now, do you think that that will affect like any of the filing dates or anything like that? Definitely. So, okay, originally filing season was supposed to start this year on January 28th. Um, and which we know it's it's swiftly approaching. Um, <laughs> I actually had a news report last week that stated um, everything is still supposed to be on track. It's far as the filing season goes. Everything is supposed to start on time. Refunds are supposed to be issued out timely. I personally do not see how that's going to happen <laughs> with the current shutdown that is going on. Um, from what I've heard, once filing season starts, we may be required to come back to work just to make sure or just to ensure that, you know, the refunds do go out. Um, another thing that came up with a couple of people that I was speaking with is, um, I don't know, they haven't announced anything officially, but they may extend the actual tax deadline. So we all know their tax deadline is April 15th. Um, I don't know for sure if they're going to extend it, but that's definitely something that may end up happening if things are delayed on the front end. Um, so people definitely want to, you know, just keep abreast of that type of information. Um, so when it pertains to actually filing your return, the time frames are different depending on how you file. So a lot of people um, file electronically, which is the easiest way. And that's basically when you go online, fill out your tax returns with a tax software company. Even if you have a CPA or a tax preparer, you know, they have the, the options to file online as well. So with electronically filing your tax return, the time frame is typically 21 days um, for processing and issuing of the refund. Now, you receiving your actual refund also depends on whether you opt for a direct deposit or if you choose to receive a paper check. Um, another thing that may possibly delay it a little is if um, you receive, which I was mentioning earlier, um, a refund anticipation loan where you have already gotten part of your refund from your preparer. Um, so how that'll work is your preparer or CPA will indicate on your tax return that you did receive a refund anticipation loan. And so the refund will actually go to them so that they can receive their portion that you owe. And then they're responsible for issuing out the remaining of the refund to you. Um, so what I always suggest is once you file your tax return, 
um, definitely keep track of it. The IRS website has a Where's My Refund tool. They actually have an app that you can download. Um, and it basically allows you to go on and check the status of your refund. In order to check the status, you will need um, your filing status, your refund amount, um, and your social security number. It does update every 24 hours, usually overnight. So, you know, we have people who go on there every single day <laughs> just to check the status of their refund. So you can either go online or you can download the app. Um, you can call, you know, to find out what's going on and check on the status of it. However, keep in mind during filing season, it's very difficult to try to get through to somebody at the IRS. And so hold times can be very long. So if you have internet access, I definitely, or a smartphone, I definitely encourage you to um, choose one of those other options as far as checking on the status of your refund. Now, if you choose to file a paper return, because we do have people who just aren't comfortable submitting tax information online, or they have other instances where people have been victims of identity theft and just cannot um, send off an electronic return, you do have the option to send in a paper return. However, with the paper returns, that processing time frame is six weeks. So it does take a little longer for it to process and for you to receive your refund if you file a paper return, but that definitely is another option. Um, also, Kim, what I did want to touch on is the fact that if you do claim a dependent, if you receive earned income credit or if you are claiming a dependent credit, those tax returns do not process or start processing until February 15th. And that's due to a tax law that passed back in 2015 called the PATH Act. And that was basically um, an act that they passed to try to cut down on tax fraud. Um, the IRS was realizing that there were, you know, a lot of different instances of illegal um, mishappenings with tax returns that were processed ahead of um, a certain period of time, especially pertaining to people who were claiming dependents. So they delayed all of those tax returns for processing until February 15th. So, you know, we have people who like to file in January or, you know, like to file early just to get it over with, or maybe in hopes that they can receive a refund early. But those returns, no matter when you file the return, it will not start processing until the 15th of February. And so those refunds usually go or start going out the next week. So that's usually like the week of the 28th is when those refunds are usually issued out. So I just want people to keep in mind, you know, just because you file your return early does not mean that you'll receive the actual refund early if you are claiming earned income credit or a child tax credit. Those refunds are delayed. Okay, awesome. So I, I'm trying to think, Rosalind, if there was anything else um, that we missed. All right, Rosalind. So with that being said, there's only one other thing that we have not touched on. And it's basically for those people who actually owe the IRS. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so can we all know that it's like one of the worst things <laughs> that people deal with is when they have to pay back the internal revenue service for oh, one reason yes, or Lord, another. You know, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the one thing about the IRS, I mean, you can avoid a lot of debt collectors, but the IRS is the one entity that is pretty much impossible to avoid. Um, and so we run into what I what I would want people to know in particular is it's not as, as scary as it seems. A lot of times I think people are when they get these notices in the mail that say, you know, oh, you have a balance or you owe, 
a lot of people get intimidated and a lot of people get worried and, you know, just they start thinking about the guy in the black suit who's going to come to their front door, you know, and take their property and cars and things like that. But there are a lot of things that people can do to prevent situations like that from happening. So what I would say is the first thing, if you receive a notice from the IRS stating that you have a balance, it's to basically contact us. You know, if you're unsure of what you owe for, even if you don't necessarily agree, definitely contact us so that we can, you know, explain why we are showing that you owe a balance. And there have also been instances where, you know, sometimes mistakes are made. And if you have proof that shows that you're, you're not necessarily eligible to pay this amount, or if you, it could also be something as simple as filing an amended tax return. If there was uh, um, something that was done incorrectly on your tax return, if you amend it, it could possibly um, take away that balance that you have. So the first thing you want to do is definitely contact the IRS. You don't want to ignore the letter because once we um, assess you a balance, penalties and interest do start accruing. Um, and interest is calculated at a 4% interest rate and it is compounded daily. So if you just sit on it, a lot of people could actually end up paying more than the actual balance itself because of the interest and penalties. Um, so when you contact us, the first thing we'll do, you know, is, is take a look and, you know, find out the reason why you owe. If it is found that you are actually um, liable to pay that balance, then you have a couple of different options. Um, you can either opt to just go ahead and pay it in full. You know, a lot of people just rather be done with it. They'd rather just, you know, see if they can get a loan. If it's something more than you can just usually afford on your own, you may want to look into getting a loan. And that's because um, typically the interest rate that you would get on a loan would be lower than the interest rate that's accumulating on the actual debt that you owe the IRS. So it might be easier just to see if you can get a loan to pay off your IRS debt and then pay that loan off separately. Um, but if that's not an option for you, we also have um, payment plans, which are called installment agreements. Um, which allow you to just pay a monthly amount um, to try to get rid of your tax liability. Um, with that, you can either opt to um, make the monthly payment yourself, or you can get set up on what we call a direct debit, where you can just have it deducted from your checking account each month. Or they also have a payroll deduction, where you can um, submit a form to your employer um, and just have the, the monthly payment come off right on top before you even receive your actual paycheck. So. You definitely want to just, you know, kind of get get on top of your tax situation so that it doesn't end up getting larger. Because what you don't want is um, your your balance to end up going to collections. Because once it's assigned to collections, that's when we see situations where um, people start receiving liens or levies on their homes, their wages from your employer start being garnished. You definitely don't want to go through that. <laughs> So if you, you know, you definitely just want to try to get on top of it, contact us. If you can't pay it in full, you know, we definitely understand. But you definitely want to get on some type of payment plan so that you can try to at least pay it down. Um, as long as you do have a balance with the IRS, any type of refund that you receive or that you may be eligible for will go directly towards your balance first. It's hard to, you know, get rid of it until your tax obligation is satisfied. So you definitely want to try to just get on a payment plan if it looks like you're not going to be able to pay it in full. Um, and then another thing is, if you are um, eligible for a refund, any refund that you may receive from the state or federal will be applied to your balance um, before you receive the refund. So say, for instance, you owe the IRS 
$2,000. If you um, are eligible for a refund for $6,000, then we'll apply that $2,000 to your balance to pay it in full, and then we'll send out the remaining amount. Um, so just keep that in mind. You know, I don't want people to think if you see that you're going to get a refund. If you owe, they will definitely, you know, collect on that first before you receive your refund. Um, but the most important thing is just communicating. Just like with any other creditor, you know, you want to keep an open line of communication just so that, you know, we can know what's going on with your particular situation and help you out the best we can. Also, there's another program. If you owe um, a significant amount of money to the IRS, you may want to look into an offer and compromise, which basically is a program that allows you to settle your IRS debt for less than you actually owe. Um, there are a lot of stipulations to that program, and you do have to fill out an application, but it is something that you definitely will want to look into if you owe a significant amount in taxes and you, you know, are just unable to pay for it. Um, there's also a third option that's called currently non-collectible. If you are unemployed or your only source of income is Social Security or unemployment, you do have the option to go into currently non-collectible status, which basically means that we can't collect on your taxes. However, the balance is still there and it does still accrue interest. Um, but we won't, you know, go after you and you won't be assigned to collections or anything like that while you are under that program. So those are just a few options if you do have a balance, um, you know, just to try to get on top of it so that it doesn't end up being more than what you expect. Okay, awesome. So, Rosalind, thank you so much for taking the time out to um, share this information with us. I really appreciate it. Before we get out of here, was there anything else that you wanted to leave with the listeners about tax preparing for this tax season? Um, the only other thing that I could think of, Kim, that I didn't touch on was I just want everybody to be very careful. There are a lot of fraudulent things going on um, as it pertains to taxes. What I did realize that there were a lot of people that were receiving fraudulent phone calls um, from people identifying themselves as IRS agents. Um, and, and telling taxpayers that they owe, you know, a balance and if they don't pay, then they could possibly, you know, be going to jail. If you receive any kind of phone call like that, it is not from the IRS. We do not call taxpayers in regards to balances. You will receive a letter, several notices in the mail, but you definitely, if you get a call from anyone saying that you owe the IRS money or that you are um, in risk of going to jail, Definitely do not give them any of your personal information. Contact the IRS directly, you know, just to verify what's going on with your account. Um, I don't want anybody, you know, losing out <laughs> on money just because, you know, they someone calls them and tells them that, that they owe. Definitely do not take their word for it and just check them on it so that you do not become a victim. Yes. And another thing that I would like to add is that if you owe the IRS, you will receive a letter in the mail. Like they will literally find a way to get you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> like you're not going to hide. Like they're going to find you. They will find your last address on file. Like no matter how many times you move, like I know, like I, <laughs> like literally I moved to Houston and they still were able to find me. Okay. After like, yes. Like, so listen, I am a witness, so I can tell you, like, they will find your address and they will send you a letter and let you know how much you owe. But anyways, just without definitely. Being, yes, just please, you know, don't be a victim. You know, it's so easy. 
All right, Rosalind, do you want to, because I I know you're on your social media break right now, but did you want to, like, let everybody know where they can find you and connect with you? or um, Sure, definitely. No, sure. I am taking a social media break right now, but I will be back soon. Um, So my Instagram is Rosalind, that's R-O-S-A-L-I-N-D, double underscore and the letter E. Um, and then on Facebook, I am Rosalind Erica. So you guys can definitely feel free um, to contact me there. If you have any additional questions, I'll be happy to answer. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Rosalind. I really appreciate you. All right. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode and you learned some things. I hope you are taking notes. Let us know your thoughts. We want to hear from you, okay? Don't forget to leave a review over on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. Or if you are listening on SoundCloud, drop us a comment. You can also feel free to reach out to me over on Instagram via DM. I love to hear from you guys. You can connect with me over on Instagram at Single Black Motherhood, Facebook, Single Black Motherhood. And you can check out the website, singleblackmotherhood.com. If you are not following me on Instagram, make sure you go ahead and do that because you have been missing out. I am collaborating with Nikisha Wynn for the Single Mom Success Tour. Yes, that's right. Single Mom Success Tour. If you are looking to build community, you're looking to learn more about financial literacy or even get your time management skills together, this tour is for you. We are giving you the three core principles that we believe to be the foundation of success for single moms. You can sign up to be notified when tickets go on sale at bit.ly backslash single mom success tour. Again, that's bit.ly, so that's B-I-T, period ly backslash single mom success tour i hope to see you guys there we are starting the tour off in houston then we are going to dc in may and atlanta in june so again i hope to see you guys there and we'll be putting out more information on our social media pages so uh make sure that you are in the loop okay That is it for now. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.